Today is a special day, as you can tell, because we're not doing anything in the normal order we do it, and that's completely, completely okay. Uh, I want to say this to you. Um, I think if you've been here long enough to know, you know that uh, I'm not real big on thematic messages, and, uh, and so you know you're not going to hear a Mother's Day sermon today. So you already know that, um, and that's okay. And, and the reason this is vital, and I, I just felt compelled to say this, the reason this is vital is because... If we seek motherhood by seeking motherhood, we won't get motherhood. If we seek the kingdom of God, we will discover what motherhood is and motherhood will happen in the kingdom because that's what the kingdom does. And so we want to get it in the right order, right? We want motherhood, but we want to get motherhood, not motherhood with a spin of the domain of darkness. And so this morning... I'm not going to talk about motherhood. And you guys probably knew that. You've been here long enough to know. And if you looked at the notes online, they're available for you. And you have exactly what I have in front of me. And uh, we're going to continue talking about this morning the DNA of our church. As we're bridging between 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Timothy 4, we're reviewing our spiritual DNA. The spiritual genetic code that determines our ethos. Do you understand ethos? Do you understand culture? I hope you do, because, because strategies and methods do not determine outcomes culture does. Culture does. This is why you can set strategies, and if the culture doesn't change people, your strategies will fail. Your strategies have to match the culture. Culture, ethos, that unnamed, unspoken, undefined ebb and flow that is spiritual in nature. That's ethos, that's culture. And these things we are talking about, the DNA of our fellowship is that spiritual ethos. It's that undercurrent. It's that thing that either repels or attracts. It's that thing that pulls in or pushes away. We're revisiting that so that we make sure we do not take it for granted. So we've taken this time between 1 Timothy 3 and 4 and bridging that gap by reminding ourselves of this spiritual ethos. In 11 years of ministry, we want to make sure we don't forget that. We boil that down into a few words, four words in particular. Gospel, church, glocal, and radical. Gospel, church, glocal, and radical. And we, we say it in a statement like this, For the glory of God, we will build the church, both local and global, by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. All this is pretty tame until we get to the global piece in a couple of weeks, because that's really, 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 really where the strategy that matches the ethos comes into play. And, and it will be very hands-on. And so I'm fired up about that. By the way, next week is elder installation. And don't, okay, I don't need to go to church that day because that'll be boring. By no means. Probably the most exciting day in the history of our fellowship. And so make sure you're here for that. And then we're going to begin to continue to touch down on these spiritual building blocks. Why do we say this is our mission? Why do we say for the glory of God, build the church, local, global, but being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ? Why gospel, church, local? And radical. Listen to Jesus in Matthew sixteen thirteen to 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? 
crazy how relevant Jesus continues to be. Who's Jesus? Why are you so big into Jesus? If you're doing global well, you will get that question. If you're not doing global well, you're not getting that question. Because you're not salt and light. You're just internal. But if you are salt and light and you are pushing the frontiers of the kingdom of God, who is Jesus? Why are you so into Jesus? Why do you go to church on Sundays? Why does that matter? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And he said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we hit this last week. Why, why does it matter? Who is Jesus? Why, do, why does it matter that we say the gospel is thicker and deeper than Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? That's a piece of it. But who, why did Jesus have to die? Who is Jesus? Why did that death count? Why couldn't I die for me? Right? Who is Jesus? Why did it even stink and matter? Why couldn't, why couldn't John the Baptist have died? Right? Why Jesus? We've got to answer that question. And you start with Genesis and you work up to the Revelation. It's the total story of the Bible. Remember, we've, we've been doing this. The Old Testament is not absent of the Gospel. Yesterday morning, had to be here, our seniors were presenting. It was beautiful to taste the fruit of a high school graduate who we've been training and training and training. Talk about from the Old Testament, a beautiful picture of the Gospel lived out in Mephibosheth of all people. You're like, if you've never read your Old Testament, you're like, he, he can't even speak. He said Mephibosheth. Yeah, there's a guy named Mephibosheth. Read the story. Gospel is present in the whole Bible. It's not just this thing that happens with Jesus. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the Creator of everything, was working the Gospel out in the meta-narrative of human history in the Old Testament. And it's clear. It's clear. My seniors get it. So can you. Who Jesus is matters. I'm, that's last week and I get that. I know. So you go listen to it online. Make sure you don't miss that. Why is the Gospel important? And then Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, what rock? This confession that Jesus is who He said He is. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. Which is why we need to answer the question, who is Jesus? Why is He the Christ? Why did He have to come? Why did He have to die? Why was He buried? Why did He have to rise? Who is Jesus? This, this. On this rock, I will build my church. Who's building the church? This is not a hard question to answer. Who's building the church? Jesus is building His church. We're not building the church. Jesus is building His church. Is Jesus building a parachurch organization? Is Jesus building a nonprofit? Is Jesus building the United States of America? No. On this confession of who I am and what I've come to do, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A church, not the non the nonprofit is not going to make it. The parachurch will not last. It's a temporary necessity. The church shall not be defeated. That's pretty cool. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one he was the Christ. Jesus said he was going to build his church. The building of the church is done on the bedrock of the good news that Jesus is the Christ. The full truth of the gospel message. Genesis to Revelation. Jesus said he had given us the keys of the gospel that would open up the doors of his kingdom. In which the church would live. And from which the church would grow. So what is the church? What is the church? If Jesus is building it, shouldn't we know what it is? I think the answer to that question is, duh. If the church is where gospel believers are, shouldn't transformed gospel believers value it? D.A. Carson threw out this week in a tweet. Um, the Christian leader today not only must teach the gospel, but also must teach how the gospel works out in daily life. And this is exactly why we're talking about the church and why we're talking about the spiritual DNA of gospel, church, local and radical. Because the implications of the gospel are massive. They're not just heaven. If you're into Jesus for heaven, you have not gotten Jesus. Jesus didn't save you for a platonic spiritual existence in a cloud somewhere out in the future singing songs. Jesus saved you to be an agent of the kingdom here, transforming the domains of the society with the society isn't passing away. Look, look to Revelation. The kingdom comes in full power on a new heaven and a new earth. Real life, real physical life lived out. With purpose and meaning, it's Eden regained. It's the garden without sin. And we have a gospel mission to fill the domains of society as salt and light, preaching good news of the kingdom, that Jesus reigns and He rules. And He wants to change you to be an agent of the kingdom. And when He does that, He bursts the church. This is huge. And so the implications to the gospel are massive. For now... Right now, they're big. And if we've missed that, we haven't heard the gospel. The good news. This is why we're talking about it. Because we're in Rome, Georgia, and Rome, Georgia doesn't get it. This is my home. I was 20 years old before I heard the gospel. Can you explain that to me? That shouldn't be. I still see my students coming to Christian school who can't articulate the gospel and they come out of the local church. This should not be. So we don't take this for granted. We don't take this for granted. What is the church? Last week we learned that the kingdom of God has some really good news. We learned that the gospel of the glory of the blessed God is the key to entry into the kingdom of the Son of God. We learned that the keys of the kingdom at least, at least represented the authority to preach the gospel and open up the doors of the kingdom for people to come into the personal and corporate rule of Jesus Christ through faith and repentance. We looked at Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The kingdom of God produces and creates the church. The rule of Jesus Christ produces and creates the church. Listen to our statement of belief on the kingdom. All this, this is on our website. You can go read it. This is our statement about the kingdom. I want you to listen carefully to it. Our, our statement of faith is just beautiful. If, if you've never read it, you would grow in Christ by just reading the statement of faith. Your, your spiritual life would take on vitality if you just go read it. It's like systematic theology like in concentrate. It's beautiful. Do you even know we have a website, by the way, church folks? It's really there. There's stuff on it. Go check it out. 3RiverCC.org. Therefore, we believe that those who've been saved by the grace of God through union with Christ by faith and through regeneration by the Holy Spirit enter the kingdom of God and delight in the blessings of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins, the inward transformation that awakens a desire to glorify, trust, and obey God, and the prospect of the glory yet to be revealed. Good works constitute indispensable evidence of saving grace. Living as salt and light in a world that is decaying and light in a world that is dark, believers should neither withdraw into seclusion from the world nor become indistinguishable from it. Rather, we are to do good to the city for all the glory and honor of the nations is to be offered up to the living God. That's a, that's a transforming statement. The implications from that statement are huge. and We're going to be talking about them in a few weeks. Recognizing whose created order this is, and because we are citizens of God's kingdom, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, doing good to all, especially to those who belong to the household of God. The kingdom of God, already present but not fully realized, is the exercise of God's sovereignty in the world toward the eventual redemption of all creation. And this is highlighted... It's bolded, underlined, and italicized in my notes, and it is online as well. The kingdom of God is an invasive power that plunders Satan's dark kingdom and regenerates and renovates through repentance and faith the lives of individuals rescued from that kingdom. It therefore inevitably establishes a new community of human life together under God. This new community of human life together under God is none other than the church. Thank you. You're tracking. Making me happy. The church is the community of the kingdom of God. We are therefore now citizens of a new kingdom. This kingdom creates a whole new culture with new values and a new king to whom we give our allegiance. This whole new culture takes shape in the church. The church is the community of the kingdom of God. The church is a community of the rule of Jesus Christ. This is why you are not your own. This is why you don't make decisions apart from each other. This is why in the West, the concept of independence ravages the church. We have a declaration of independence that has produced more negative fruit in the lives of Christians than persecution ever will. Do you know you are not independent of other believers? Do you know you are united through Christ with everyone else in this fellowship and other Christians globally? Do you understand that's why when you go places and the Spirit starts witnessing with your spirit about that person, you've never spoken to them, but there's just something unique and you like, and you know they're a Christian. And, it, and if you're brave enough, you actually strike up a conversation and discover they're followers of Jesus too. How does that happen? 
How does it happen? Because you're united. You have union with Christ and therefore one another. We're the community of God's kingdom. The church isn't the kingdom, but the gospel of the kingdom produces the church. The church is not a building. Not a building. I still, we're 11 years old and people still ask me when we're going to become a real church. And what they mean is, when are you going to get a building? And I tell them never, because then we couldn't do the work in the part of the world where we do the work. And when you start getting that productive, you can come ask me when we'll become a real church. I guess I should turn the question on them is, when are you going to start being a real church? Sorry, that was mean. Lord, I apologize for being rude. Thank you, Miss Lois. It is true. I didn't say that. Miss Lois said that. That's true. It's her fault. I'm going to give your phone number out at the end of the... The church is the gathering. The church is the gathering. The community of the people of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom produces fruit. And some of that fruit is the precious bride of Christ, the church. The sower went out to sow. And he sows the good news of the kingdom, Jesus told us in Matthew 13. The seed... The Word, the Gospel of the Kingdom, falls into hard hearts, shallow lives, crowded lives, or lives ripe for the Kingdom. The enemy comes, though, and he steals the Word of the Kingdom from the hard heart. But the shallow life, whose abundance is found in saving itself, gives a quick root to the Word, but fades when things get tough. The crowded life readily accepts the word of the kingdom, but like it accepts other words of pretend kingdoms, but when the word of the kingdom finds no room to grow, it is eventually choked out by other deeply rooted ideas and activities already embedded. But when the gospel of the kingdom lands in good soil, the good news produces a crop of abundance. Part of the crop of the gospel message of the kingdom is the community of the kingdom, the church. You do ministry long enough and you hang out in the life of the community long enough, you will be able to distinguish hard soil, rocky soil, crowded soil, and good soil. It is clear as day. The presence of the church is the fruit of the gospel message of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That statement alone needs exegesis, but I must move forward. We've got many more weeks to go. The gospel saves people from the domain of darkness and puts them in the kingdom of Jesus Christ and forms them into the church. The church, however, and this is huge, and I actually have a footnote here, and, and my footnote is intended to distinguish uh, something, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention it briefly. The church is bigger than small group ministry. Now, when I say that, in my footnote, I put, this is distinguished from house churches in the East. Malaysia, China, Vietnam. This is distinguished from the house churches in the East that are truly functioning as the church. But here in the West, the church is bigger than small group ministry. You see, the church is not small groups. Small groups don't observe the sacraments or engage in the Great Commission by planting churches. Heck, you can't even get some of them to break up and multiply, much less plant churches. So don't call it church. 
They don't engage the domains of society through transforming domains, and they don't make disciples through front door strategic engagement of unreached people groups. Show me one of those in the small group, and I'll show you a church that should be independent, appoint elders, and begin functioning as a church. I just go off the record here, if you don't mind for a moment, I will say in the next 20 years, that movement probably should become the norm in North America. I don't know if you've looked at real estate costs lately in Floyd County, but if you're going to get property in Floyd County, scratch off your list the ability to engage unreached people groups. Because you will pay in overhead the majority of your budget just to keep a building. Just practically speaking, just practically speaking, the house church may become the norm if it's doing those things. That's not prophetic. I'm just trying, you know, just projecting. You look ahead. Here are the costs. Here are the needs. Just saying. So, if that can happen, then I raise my hand and say, I'm in. If not, it's not the church. In reality, most small groups in Western post-Christian Southern culture are inward-focused and societally monochromatic. Small groups are important. But they must be constructed on a common vision of the kingdom of God, not life preferences. This is where the kingdom starts confronting Southern culture. Because we want to gather around preferences. I'm trying to decide not to say this. It's not in my notes. I might need to ask permission from some friends before I say it. I think I will. I'll ask permission. So scratch. I'm just, you're going to, please say it. Please say it. No, I'm not going to say it. Small groups are important. But they have to be constructed on the vision of the kingdom, not life preferences and not stages in life. That's shallow. We talk about this, and we'll talk about this more in a few weeks when we talk about the radical life. So just kind of hold on to that thought. Even the house church in the West is really not much more, by and large, than wounded folks from the establishment. Our isolation is seeking to escape the world who are not engaged in disciple-making beyond their familial borders. This is not the church. The gospel of the kingdom of God makes disciples. Disciples fill the domains of society and they make disciples in their domains. And the church grows from these domains as communities of the kingdom of God, as outposts of the kingdom that are invading the dark territory that is temporarily held by the domain of darkness. In case you don't realize that that was a revolutionary statement in post-Christian Western circles. This is one of the things that people come and they taste the undercurrent of this fellowship and they don't want any part of it because the implication on their life is massive. And the reason is that for most of the church, for most in the West, the church is a negotiable variable regarding our discipleship. And for some, it may just even be negotiable, period. We think the church is a place where we go to hear preaching and we sing songs and maybe, possibly, in some instances, attend a small group. But beyond that, it has no further relevance in our lives. We use it for our benefit and then we go on about our lives. The church is precious. The church is precious. Let me translate that. You are precious. 
Jesus died to secure your salvation and entrance into His kingdom. And He calls you His bride. You are not a commodity to be consumed. You are precious. And the church is not to be used, taken for granted, or even neglected. I would argue neglected would be the adjective you put over the church in the West. Even in Christian circles, she's negotiable. I actually had another statement here this morning that I, I deleted this morning. And I, and I just like, I felt the Lord say, don't say it. But we have a tendency to use the church rather than commit to the church. The church is the community of the kingdom of God. If one is in the kingdom, they will love the church. If the church was not what happened when rebels are transformed from darkness to the kingdom of the Son of God and therefore necessary and vital, why would Jesus say He was going to build His church? Right? If the church isn't vital or important, why would Jesus say He's going to build it? Why would Paul spend so much time writing to the churches, Ephesus, the churches of Galatia, the churches of Philippi, and the churches of Colossae? Why would Paul tell Titus to appoint elders in the churches if the church isn't vital? Why would Paul care to instruct Timothy on the good order of the church that is a pillar and buttress of the truth if she's irrelevant? Why would Jesus, in Revelation 1, 12-20, reveal Himself as being among His churches as opposed to the church's small groups if the church is irrelevant? Why would Jesus Himself send letters through John the Apostle to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Why would he do that if the church isn't vital? You ever ask that question? I would say to you, be careful of calling it the church if it's not being the church. Which is why we need to remind ourselves of our DNA. Which is why we do a membership class. Do you understand what you're getting into? Is tracking a little bit? You feel like the bride's important? You feel like you're valuable? Because you are. You are not irrelevant. You are the precious, purchased bride of Jesus Christ. And you are valuable. And we must know who we are and what our mission is. The church is the community of the kingdom and is therefore necessary and vital. And Jesus cares for us. Listen to this statement about the church on our website as well. It's a statement of belief. We believe that God's new covenant people, the church, have already come to the heavenly Jerusalem. They've already been seated with Christ in the heavenlies. The universal church is manifest in local churches of which Christ is the only head. Thus, each local church is, in fact, the church, the household of God, the assembly of the living God, and the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is the body of Christ, the apple of His eye, graven on His hands, and He has pledged Himself to her forever. The church is distinguished by her gospel message, her sacred ordinances, her discipline, her great mission, and above all, by her love for God and by His members' love for one another and for the world. Crucially, this gospel we cherish has both personal and corporate dimensions, neither of which may be properly overlooked. Christ Jesus is our peace. He has not only brought about Peace with God, but also peace between alienated peoples. 
You just throw this in there. That means Muslims too. You want to get crazy, wacky? Try this. I don't know if you figured it out yet or not, but we have an Islamic center in our town. Don't take your Bibles there and start telling them they're going to hell. I invite you to invite one of those precious people to lunch. Become friends with them. Pay for their lunch. Ask them to teach you Arabic. And bring the kingdom of God to bear on them. And tell them, if you're brave enough, that by God's grace you want to baptize them one day when they believe the gospel. Be bold, but love them. Because you know what He intends to do? He intends to save people from all nations. That includes Muslims. Right? That's a different set of lens, isn't it? That's not looking at it from an American perspective because you are not American first. You're kingdom of God first. Jesus is your king. And you looked at with a different set of eyes. Well, Jesus might want to save that cat, so I might need to tell him. He brings alienated peoples together. His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both Jew and Gentile to God through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. You don't have to be hostile. Love them. Love God, love your neighbor. The church serves as a sign of God's future new world when its members live for service of one another and their neighbors rather than for self-focus. The church is the corporate dwelling place of God's Spirit and the continuing witness to God in the world. Wow. The church, rightly understood and cherished, is not negotiable, is she? Is she? That's right. If the church is to be cherished, let me say this to you, marry the church, don't date it. Daters use, but those who marry love. Daters are not committed, but those who marry stay the course. Daters view time together as negotiable. <laughs> and I just had funny thoughts of back in the day, man. It's like, man, the Falcons are playing this weekend. I ain't got time. We need to... I'm busy, right? Now we have DVR, though. With Mary, we can DVR it, right? <laughs> Sorry. I'm gonna, yeah. Daters view time together as negotiable, but those who marry want to spend time together. In other words, who you marry takes priority. When you marry the church, guess what she has? We only experience the unity of the kingdom life when we usually, or when we actually get into the community of the kingdom. We'll only experience the power of the dynamic of the kingdom and the fellowship of the kingdom, not in isolation or selfishness, but in the community of the church. We'll only experience the powerful gifts and the fellowship of the community on a common mission that will need encouragement on the mission. The gifts aren't given to prove. God to you. They're given to serve the body on mission. So don't expect the gifts. Don't expect supernatural faith if you're not plugged in to help. Because that gift of faith isn't given for you. It's given for somebody else who's wrestling. That's why it's given. And if you're isolated, guess who's not getting? Who's struggling, believing today, and you're absent because you had another priority? And somebody needed to be upheld today because they're that close to walking away. And He gave you the gift of faith to encourage them to stay the course. But I had to sleep. 
You think the church matters? If the church doesn't matter, why are we wasting our time? Because football season is coming. And I, I like NFL Live. And I, man, I like to watch it live. I don't want to watch it DVR. If this doesn't matter, then why am I prioritizing being here? You know what I'm saying? There are some things I enjoy on this side of the eternal kingdom. And football is one of them. Right? So what the heck, right? If the church is truly what the gospel produces as the community of the kingdom of heaven, and if the church is that vital, then what are some points of application to walk away with today, okay? I'm going to give you a few. Give you some points here. I, I really, I mean, be, let me just open my heart. I took a lot of points off because I was afraid of offending people. Let me just confess that to you. Some of you think, I don't think he's ever afraid of offending people. He offends me daily. I, so, I actually am sensitive to that. I, I, I don't enjoy... I've been told I'm the Antichrist, by the way, in case you don't know that. There are churches in our town who actually think I'm... It's interesting. I'm like, really? I, I thought I was a right-wing fundy. I, really? I, <laughs> so, it's interesting to hear people think of... And that's based on my eschatology. Um, pastors think uh, Yeah. Have to laugh after a while. So I'm actually sensitive. I don't like to be called the Antichrist, right? It's not fun. It's like, wow, I'll get called the Antichrist today. I made them mad. Woo! It's not my mission. My mission is to represent Jesus well. Because you know who I answer to? Jesus. So I took some out, and he may correct me. Um, And I hope these are helpful, not repelling. One, if the church is vital, if, if, I mean, if the church really matters, one, attend regularly to encourage one another. Listen to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider. You know what consider means? Think through. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more often we need one another to stir one another up to love and good works. You know, one of the reasons perhaps we don't see a movement among the agencies of our town and fostering and adopting is we're just too isolated from one another to stir one another up to love and good works. When we have doubts for somebody to prop us up and go, no, no, no. Let me share with you the gift of faith. We can trust the Lord. So attend regularly to encourage one another. Remember we looked at the... the we, we took a... Last week I gave you sort of a little column uh, contrasting column of the domain of darkness and the kingdom of God. You remember that? The kingdom is totally opposite of the domain of darkness. The kingdom values sacrifice. The domain of darkness values rescuing yourself. God never said rescue yourself. Never. Never. Jesus came and gave us the example. Live risky. Live risky. Live risky. 
And in living risky, we're going to need one another. And we're going to have to stir one another up to love and good works. We don't neglect meeting together. But as we see the day drawing near, we continue to need one another more. Number two, attend a small group of people who are fellow members and share your church's DNA. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, we grow together by what every joint supplies. What happens if this joint over here doesn't care anything about a local missional vision of the world? Well, this person is just isolated and wants to isolate from the world. And don't, don't, and, and, and God forbid you actually think about going somewhere that it's dangerous and they start trying to talk you out of government because you might die. I might. And that's game for me. And they're like, you're crazy. You people are wild. What do you do that for? You, you need to be around people who share the spiritual DNA of going, yeah, risky, let's go. I'll fund it. You need to check? What can I help you do? As opposed to going, don't do that. No. Oh. I mean, you see those checks? I can't remember. We've, wrote, we've written hundreds of checks. I don't know if you walk downstairs, but the burgeoning thing in our fellowship is kids. And I don't know if you've noticed over the past few weeks, but you know who the best setter-uppers are who are most on time and who do a better job of anybody in this church? Our youth. And you know what's cool about them is they've been raised in radical kids. They've been taught the value of Gabriel's up here pumping. Yeah, that's right. They've been raised with this mentality that when you're old enough, it's been funded for you to go to the nations. You're not here to get. You're here to go. We are a mission-sending agency to ourselves. And our kids have been trained to give, 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 not get, get, get. And do you know what's happening? Those checks that were given out this morning, every one of those kids in 10 years are going to be outward focused with the DNA of God's kingdom making disciples. They will plant more churches than you ever thought about planting. They will look at that not as, oh my gosh, barrier, but opportunity. Because they've been trained with that DNA. But if you are not around people who value that, all they're going to come is, oh God, you people are crazy. You don't provide babysitting for my kid. I actually have to sit and teach my kid how to worship. Sorry. Go, go somewhere else where you can get babysitting. That's not what we do. We're training kids for the Great Commission. You know what's going to happen when they're worshiping with people out there in other people groups? They don't have babysitting in the bush. Do they? And if you hadn't been outside the border of the United States of America, you think this is the epitome of the church. It's not. Because some places have to worship because if they get caught, they die. So they worship very quietly. And it's crazy how kids learn to sit quiet in those places. It's wild. They do. They do. So here's my point. You need to be around people who share your spiritual DNA. So you can pump one another to this mission. Does that make sense practically at all? Or did that make you mad? I'm sorry. Not really. Mixing spiritual DNA and missional DNA leads to a compromise of the individual and the corporate mission. The reality is, not every fellowship is for everybody. If you don't value these values, then we're probably not the place for you. And that's okay. There are great churches in this town. I have brothers and sisters in this town who are spread across this town in great fellowships who love Jesus, love the gospel, love the global scope of the gospel. But they share, they have a little bit different vibe, and that's okay. 
Nothing wrong with that. But you need to understand what our vibe is and what the vibe of the kingdom is. And make sure you're willing to give yourself to that. Number three, make sure you participate in the Lord's Supper. The more I'm alive, the more I read my Bible, the more I'm convinced that the Lord's Supper is a phenomenal, glorious means of grace. The meal is given as a reminder of the gospel work that brought about the transfer from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the Son. The Lord is present. Do you get that He's present? Do you understand this isn't just gathering? We're not here to hear songs and hear a guy preach. You're here to meet with Jesus. He is the object. Do you understand that? He's, you're not the audience. He's the audience. We are here for Him. So that we receive from Him what we need for other people. So that we can be prepared to go out and do the work of the kingdom. You're here for Jesus. And when we come to the Lord's table... The Lord is moving about His people. Be here. Be present. Be on time. It's God's time, not yours. Manage it well for your sake and for others. You need to taste Jesus walking among the chairs. And if you don't believe He's not here, you don't believe your Bible. He's here. Do you get that? Your King is present now. And He wants to commune with you. He wants to equip you to bless and minister to the body so the mission would be accomplished. Make sure you participate. Get here for the supper. Four, pray. This is almost like no duh. Christianity first grade. Pray. Luke 18, 1-8. Jesus reminds us in that passage that faith in Christ works itself out in prayer. If you're part of the kingdom... And a member of a body, pray for one another. Don't take it for granted. Jesus gets work done through prayer. I would argue it's the primary means of ministry. And mobilize for the ministry? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers, Jesus said. So ask Him to send laborers. Foster Care Awareness Month. You can have those prayer guides in the back. Pray for families. Pray for the workers. Pray for Department of Family and Children's Services. Pray for Murphy Hearts. Pray. Ask Jesus to do it. He promised He would. Five, give. You simply can't outgive God. Kingdom people are giving people because our king is a giver. The domain of darkness people are robbers because their king is a taker and a thief. Give because our great God is a giver. Six, serve. First Corinthians twelve seven says each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Jesus came not to be served, but serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Our King is a servant. Therefore, His subjects are servants too. Be in the body to serve and be like our great King. Finally, worship. Worship is never intended to be private only. Worship is primarily corporate. Notice that the worship described in the Bible is always with people. Right? There are those rare moments where a prophet has a time with the Lord in which the Lord speaks to them and gives them a mission. But what does He tell them to do? Stay isolated, hang out in the temple? Go preach. Go say this to these people. Bring them. And you see what? The temple is a corporate gathering place. In Acts, where do they gather? Together. Worship is a community event. As a matter of fact, you'll notice the word congregation occurs 11 times in the Psalms. 
And it is used to describe the place where the psalm writer vowed to sing the praise they were writing. In other words, worship is to be done publicly with other worshipers. This morning, if the church matters and is vital, we get to do something that is intimately and ultimately more important than anything you will do today. Worship together in song. And if the church is really that vital and important, guess who is being honored and who is sitting on the praises of His people? Jesus. So I want to invite you to cherish the King inside the community of the kingdom. Make much of Him and check this out. Enjoy one another to the glory of the King who made that What a glorious thing we get to participate in and what a glorious reality you are. Because Jesus made it that way. Church, you are vital and precious. Give your lives to one another as a sacrifice of praise to the King who made that possible. And you know what? We do that. We are living a culture and an ethos that will transform Roman Floyd County. It will transform. Because you don't come to get a product you come to make much of Jesus. He equips you to go and be salt and light. Let me pray for you. Then let's sing to Him and make much of Him. Father, we thank You for our day. We thank You for this glorious reality You've given us in the Gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And His rule over us. And Lord, we pray now that You, by Your Spirit, would make Yourself known among us. We are Yours and we are here for You. And Lord, I pray that You would root out any motive that is not set on enjoying You as the King of the universe. Lord, I pray that You would come against the domain of darkness and that You would conquer the domain of darkness with the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, rule your people well now, we pray. We submit to you. We bow the knee to you. We have ears to hear. We have eyes that see. We have hands and feet that are ready and willing. And we pray you to rule us well. Jesus, sit enthroned in the praises of your people this morning. Move among us, please. We, we confess to you that we give to you absolute reign of this time. I pray today that you would send laborers into the field for his white for harvest. I ask you to minister to the body. I ask you to banish the work of the evil one and the lies of the evil one. I pray that you would cause those lies to be crushed and the truth to rise. I pray for courage in the hearts of your people. I ask for repentance in the life of your people. I ask for joy in the life of your people. We ask today that you would be worshipped and glorified and our joy in you would be rich and full. Jesus, this morning, rule, rule, rule. And for all those who are yours and call your name, would you give them a sense of how precious they are to you as a member of the kingdom and a member of your church. among us, Lord Jesus. Build your church. Use us as your instruments in so doing. 
as we proclaim the good news of the kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name.